for the reading of one verse of Scripture tonight. Would you stand with me, please, for one verse of Scripture? I want to give you a message of encouragement about our families. And I'd like you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. If you don't have a Bible, you can read this on our PowerPoint, our screen tonight. And I'm going to ask our members to look around. If you remember you have a Bible, maybe you can share your Bible with those who don't have one. 2 Corinthians 12, 14, which you notice what the Apostle Paul says here. Behold, the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you, for I seek not yours but you. Notice the last phrase. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. Would you read that together with me in English from the King James Version of the Bible, that second part? Would you read that together with me? For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. I didn't think it would start out this way when God called me to be a pastor, that I would uh, really thoroughly enjoy uh, preaching and instructing and helping with marriages and the family. But uh, I found that uh, the Lord has just laid some things on my heart tonight, and I just want to share with you as friends and as our church family, my burden for families tonight and my burden for your family we live in a time where it, I, I think if there's ever a time we need to be vigilant and be very, very strong guardians over the faith and over the lives of our children. There's probably never been more of a time in America's history than right now. And I want to encourage you tonight, I want to just give you some practical nuts and bolts, some practical tools that will help you, that, that will help you understand from the Bible some important things that are about child rearing. You only get one opportunity to raise your children. And it goes by very quickly. All three of my children who are here tonight, I love them dearly. I love my child. I'd give my life for my children. I'm thankful for them. I remember the day when I dedicated them, my wife and I dedicated them to those just little babies at that time, just small little babies, and now they're adults. And I think back at how quickly time went by, and I think of the things I wish I did, and then I look at the things I'm glad I did. I'm glad that my children could serve the Lord here at church with me. I'm thankful my son is in the ministry serving God. It was not what my choice, it was God's choice on his life. And although we all have our differences in terms of our personalities, I'm thankful that God looks beyond our personality differences, and God in his grace and his love and his mercy. He uses every one of us to glorify his name. And tonight, as we're here as a church, I just want those of you who are guests here tonight, I want you just to feel like you're part of the church family tonight. I want you just to just be at home tonight and feel like you're just sitting at a place where you're getting a fireside chat, instruction that'll help you, and realizing there's some, there's some very important principles from the Bible that can help us tonight. Because the Bible says the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. We want to see tonight, what is that underlying principle that'll help us to establishing what I call tonight the happy family. Let's pray. Father, thank you tonight what our eyes have seen and our ears have heard. Again, we commit to you these parents, the grandparents, and these precious children, and every child here tonight. I'm thankful for our children's ministry. I'm thinking just for a little while ago about our girls' Sunday school department and the many, many young girls that stayed behind for the outing that they had and the investment of time and effort our teachers made in these young girls. And they were seeing their happy faces and their excitement and the love the teachers have for the children, the children for the teachers. What a blessing that was. And tonight we pray that this service will help draw the parents' hearts more fonder for their marriage, 
more fonder for their children, and as a result, they would teach their children how to love their moms and dads as well. Father, would you help me tonight? I don't want to, I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't want to say something that would be misleading. I want to be careful that everything is said in grace and in truth and would be helpful to us in establishing godly homes that will, be, that will just give a good return, a good reward, as the Bible says tonight. Bless the scriptures as you promised you would already in our time together. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, thank God tonight, this is uh, hopefully the first, our uh, first of maybe two baby child dedication services this year for 2019. And again, as I said earlier, this is one of my favorite services I like to have. Now, I believe tonight, and parents, you can go ahead and be very honest about this. I believe all the parents with babies or, or little children believe they have the perfect child. How many think you have the perfect child tonight? Go ahead and be boastful, okay? Now, I knew Nicole would do that. I knew she'd raise her hand, okay? But I think a lot of us believe we have the perfect child. I'm reminded of a story about two fathers that were talking. And uh, father number one says, I have the perfect son. And father number two said, he asked a question, does he smoke? And he said, no. And he doesn't. Then father number, number, number two says, well, does he drink alcohol? And, fa and fa uh, number one says, does he drink alcohol? And father number two says, no, he doesn't drink alcohol. And then father, father, uh, father number one says, well, did, does, he, does he come home late? And father number two says, no, he doesn't come home late. So finally, the, the first father says, well, I guess you really must have, you must really have the perfect child. How old is he, by the way? And the father said, he's about six months old this coming Wednesday. And I think that's how a lot of us feel that when the baby, they're just little babies, they're the perfect child. There's no cuter little boy. There's no cuter little girl. They just fit all of the paradigms that we're looking for. You know, children are cute when they're babies. I like what Brother Danny said earlier. He says, you know, the cuteness has gone away. Now, in heart of hearts, behind closed doors, you just feel like your kid is cute no matter what they are, okay? You just believe that because they're your children that God has blessed you with. Now, a lot of times, I think as we think about children that we want to think they're perfect, I think every mother and father aspires to be good parents. Now, I don't know what your definition of a good parent is, but I think you like to think that you're a good parent. And good parenting is the sense that, that you are able to control your child, you're able to manage them well, and raise them upright. A mother said to her son one time, she said, you know what? He was misbehaving really badly. And she said, look at that kid over there. He's not misbehaving. And the little four-year-old promptly replied back to his mother and said, well, maybe that's because he has good parents. And, you know, I think sometimes we think of that, that, well, you know, the kids think that way. This, the problem's not me. The problem's with you there, you know? I read the story about a, a little boy that was praying, and his mother came into the room, and he was about four or five years old, and she said, what are you praying for? He said, Mom, I was praying for Grandma and Grandpa, and then I was praying for you, and she said, well, what did you pray for about me? He said, I was praying that you'd put up with me, Mom, because I want to keep up the kind of way I'm living right now, you know? And I think a lot of times we think about things, we, we just are really concerned and burdened about our children. Those of you who have small children, you've not gone to the place where they become teenagers, and they start becoming a little more independent and making decisions, and that, that probably that probably, uh, you know, burdened you a little bit there. But tonight, I just want to just give you some encouragement as we raise these children together. I want you to think about some components and some things that are essential for developing a happy family. Now, I think there's three things you want to write down tonight. If you have some notes tonight, you can write this down. But three things I want to give you tonight that helps us in developing a happy family. Number one, I want you to consider the gift of the family the gift of the family. Now, tonight, I think we have to resolve in our heart that your marriage, first of all, is the gift from God. Husbands, your wife is God's gift to you. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen? The Bible says, whosoever findeth a wife, findeth a good thing. Now, your, mind, your wife is not, a good, is not a thing, but what he meant by there, it means she's a good cause, a good purpose in life. And I think every wife, you ought to feel like God has given you the best and given you your husband. He's God's gift to you. But now we need to bring it down to the children. 
And the children that God blesses us with, whether it's one or many, they are God's gift to us. And I draw your attention back to Psalms 127, where Brother Denny read. And I want to just read some things and give you some comments tonight. In Psalms 127, you'll notice up here on, on your screen, verses 3 to 5, notice what it says there. Lo, children are heritage of the Lord. Now, the word heritage basically means this. It means that is God's inheritance to you. That is God's legacy to you. That is God's reflection showing that your marriage is to, is to represent from generation to come your investment in the lives of these children. He said, lo, children are a heritage of the Lord and the fruit of the womb is his reward. He's saying the compensation for marriage is the birth of the child. It is, and we notice here, he says, it talks about the fruit of the womb. He's talking about that child that was incubated for nine months in the mother's womb. And then the mother, came, the day came when she had to give birth. Now there's a word that this found the Bible that describes the birthing process. We don't use it as much, but sometimes doctors use this term, and it's the word travail. Now, travail is associated with birthing, the giving birth of a child. Travail is, a, we use the term hard labor to describe travail. When a woman gives birth to a child, there's nothing to describe the, the difficulty and the hardship with it. But when the baby's born, it seems like all of that hardship goes away and there's joy. And the Lord Jesus Christ described that fruit of the womb this way. In John 16, 21, the Lord Jesus Christ said this, talking about sorrow and joy. He said, a woman, when she is in travail, has sorrow. And that's true. It is very hard. It's very painful. It's very difficult. Thank God for epidurals, amen? But he says, a woman, when she is in travail, has sorrow because her hour is come. But as soon as she's delivered of the child, she remembers no more the anguish, notice this, for joy that a man is born into the world. So we notice here that in Psalms 127, the, the writer here, which could be David, is describing the, the, that children are God's gift to you. They're God's legacy or inheritance for generations to come. And the fruit of the womb is his reward. Notice in verse 4, he makes another description. He uses some metaphors here. He says, as arrows are in the hand of a mighty man. He's using the metaphor of a skilled archer. I don't know if any of you have ever uh, participated in archery. There's an archery lane not very far from here, up to, from the church off of Marina Boulevard there. It would be a great place if you just want to kind of experiment with that. But archery is not just something you jump into. You start to realize that you've got to be skilled in archery. You've got to have the ability and strength to pull the string back, the bow back, because the tension of it is very, very strong. You've got to have the ability not to shake and to aim it right. And he's talking about a skilled archer here. He's using the analogy that children are like an arrow in the hands of a mighty man. Look at verse 4 again with me. He says here, as arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. You know what he's saying there? An archer, when he has an arrow in his hand, he knows exactly what he's aiming for. He aims at a target, and his goal is to hit the target. Now, you're going to hit what you aim for, moms and dads and parents here today. You're going to hit what you aim for. If you're, not, if you're not skilled, if you're not deciding today that you're going to be a strong parent and a strong father and a strong mother, you're going to hit what you aim for. If you decide tonight that you're not going to, that you're not going to be very, uh, you're going to invest yourself in raising your children, you're going to hit what you aim for. And so David here is writing, he says, as arrows are in the hands of a mighty man, he says, uh, so are the children of the, uh, of, the, of the youth. You know, from the moment the children are born, we must have in our mind a vision in our, in our minds and our hearts. Where do we see our children? How do, what kind of path do we want them? And I'll talk about that in a minute. Where, do we, where are we aiming? Because as parents now, God is 
asking us and calling upon us to be very long-term in our thinking. He wants us to think about the future. Where are you aiming your child? And he uses the example of a mighty archer there. And then notice he says in verse 5, happy is the man that has his quiver full of them. Now God's encouraged you to have more children. Amen? That's a good thing. Yeah? And he's saying there, because an archer realizes when he goes out, he doesn't want a half-empty quiver. He wants a full quiver. And God is saying there, if you have more than one child, that is the blessing from God. He says, happy is a man. Why? Because of the endurance of that legacy. And because you're learning a long time that you're investing your life and you're building your life around developing those children for the Lord Jesus Christ here. Then notice something else he says in verse 5 as we talk about the gift. Happy is the man that has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed. But notice this, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Now I want you to imagine with me you're back in the Old Testament times. The cities would have gates there. There would be a gatekeeper that would stand there. The gatekeeper would have two roles. Role number one is the gatekeeper would be somebody somewhat wise. As people came through there, they would kind of voice their concerns and their burdens or problems. And the gatekeeper there, might be even the king himself, would be there to judge the matters of that person. But the gatekeeper there was also one who kept a vigilant eye for someone who was not from their area, not from their local city. You know, I want to tell you tonight, there are enemies outside the gate of your home. There are enemies outside the gate of where you're trying to raise your children. And I'm not talking about burglars and robbers and home invasions. I'm talking about the fact that there are spiritual enemies that stand outside the gate. They're eyeing your children. They have their eyes on them. You know, it ought to grieve our hearts that there are crimes committed against children. There are predators out to seek the children in different facets of society. And you know, we're trusting people. We trust other people. We like to be trusting of, of the clergy. We want to be trusting, if you would, of teachers. And we want to be trusting of those who are responsible. But the truth of the matter is, as moms and dads, we must always keep a vigilant eye and understanding about the lives of those children because God has entrusted them to us. And we must, be, we must be careful to watch out for the enemies outside the gate who are seeking to destroy your children. I'm not so worried much about the enemies perhaps of the teachers because you control that, but I am concerned about what they read in the media and what they get out of different entertainment events like that or what they get out of their peers. And moms and dads, I want to tell you tonight more than anything else, the greatest influence you need to have on your children, they must understand that the, the centralized authority in their lives is you as mom and dad and God. They must recognize his authority because there will be coming a point, a curve in their life and it varies for every child. There's a curve in their life where peer influence from their friends becomes much more dominating than parental influence. And you need to be careful to understand that because as great as you may think you are as a leader and as strong as you may think in terms of your influence, there will come a point where peer influence, they will trust the peer influence from their friends more than they trust you. Right or wrong, that's just how children are. That's how they develop. And that's the ploy that the enemy uses, the devil, in trying to influence them. And I'm just saying tonight, we must understand that children are God's gift to us this evening. And as we, we consider these children, we must realize they're very, very precious in God's sight. They start off at one month, six months, 12 months. You know, those, those, those cute days go by, as Brother Denny said. And then they begin to become one-year-old, then two years old, five years old. They start school, and they start to develop. They have more cognitive ability. And you know, there, there can be some challenges. And now is the time when they're very small, and when their will is very, 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 very is, is the way it is right now. Now is the time to build their will, and to understand how to raise them for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so tonight, I want to thank God tonight, and you want to thank God tonight for the gift of the family.
family. But notice, secondly, if you would, I want you to consider the goals of the family, the goals in parenting. The Bible says that, the, that children are not to lay up for the parents, but the parents are to lay up for the children. Now, the layup is talking about the storing up or treasuring up. You're to prepare your child for the future. That's what he's saying there. You're to, you're to make sure that you leave them a lasting legacy, some traditions you're handing down, some laws that you're handing down. The children are not to lay for the parents. You know, in some societies, they have so overindulged their sons and their daughters, the, the children are running the home, not the parents running the home. Because the parents are just trying to keep things going, and they're just trying to keep food on the table and have enough savings and all these things, but they're so busy trying to keep with that, that maybe grandma and grandpa, who just love their children, kind of let them get by with some things that probably you wouldn't, or maybe somebody else in child care gets, lets them get away with things that you wouldn't. And the end result is over time this starts to build up and the child will develop. The children are controlling the home. And I'm just saying tonight as we look at the scriptures, God is giving us wonderful advice, very great advice and wisdom. He says the parents are to lay up or store up for the children. Now let me say this tonight. Don't just raise your children to be talented. Raise up your children to have a tender heart. Don't raise up your children just to get ahead. Raise them up to realize who, that Jesus Christ should be the head of their life. They must have an authority. If they learn to fear you, they will learn to fear God. They learn to fear God, they learn to fear you. They must learn this sense of reverence and respect early on in life. Don't raise your children just to be smart. Raise your children to realize they are a spiritual being before God. And so tonight, let me give you a couple goals that you need to have and I need to have as we raise our children and grandchildren for the Lord. Are you ready? Number one, goal number one, establish a path for your child. Establish a path, okay? You must de determine tonight to establish a path they're going to go on. Now listen to what the Bible says here. In Proverbs 22, 6, it says, Train up a child in the way he should go. That's a path. You're directing them to, the, to a pathway. You're directing them on, on a, you're to tell him this is the road you're going to take. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, when he's mature, when he's a little bit more discerning, he will not depart from it. Now, there's so many things I like to say that I don't have time. I just do encourage you that, that you might consider attending our church on Sunday mornings and, and enrolling in one of our adult growth groups, which meets from 9.15 to about 10 o'clock. And uh, our, several of our adult growth groups, we go through series on marriages and raising the family. All of the families who dedicate their children have received the book, Making Homework, and uh, just talking about how to raise your children right and uh, somewhere along the way we're going to have at least one series that we're going to do on raising your children and, and just some, some thoughts we'll give you there and some things. in fact we have a new series coming up in May that will be helpful on marriages that I think would be very helpful for all the uh, couples here tonight but uh, I'm going to give you some, some thoughts tonight about some things that are part of training up a child now notice it didn't say just teach your child it says train your child training is implying building good habits into their thinking building good habits into their life training means you develop a mind Training means you get them to do certain things where it becomes second nature to them. Now here are some things in that pathway we need to have if we're going to train our children. There need to be rules. Believe it or not, you've got to have some rules. Rules establish boundaries. If you don't have boundaries, your child will venture out. You have to establish where those boundaries are. Very, very, you know, simple boundaries. For instance, if you're watching TV at home, you have to have boundaries. You have to have limits on television. You have to have limits in terms of just things of that nature. You want to have, you want to have rules in terms of just making sure your child, you have a, a schedule for your child, that they eat at a certain time, they get up at a certain time, they go to bed at a certain time. These are, these are just rules you want them to have where you're in control of that situation. We need to have rules. We must understand that training involves repetition. 
You know how do we learn? We do it over and over again. Repetition. Children need to learn the basic things, to brush your teeth and wash your face and take a bath and things of that nature there. And they need to realize that whatever time it be in your home, if it's 6 p.m. at night, that's when they take a bath, and 7 o'clock is when they eat, and 7.30 is when they brush your teeth. They just need to learn repetitively that's what they do over and over again. Get them on, tell, help them to understand that the best training is repetition over and over again. There's rules, there's repetition, there's responsibilities. You know, children, your children will honor you when you give them responsibilities. They're never too young for responsibilities. When you give them things, you trust them with a task, you entrust them with a chore, and have them do certain things where they realize that's their part of their role in the family. Little things like taking out the garbage, little things like making the bed, little things like helping set up the table or clear the table, or helping mom and dad with the dishes. Moms and dads, it's okay. Every now and then, you assign your children when they're a little bit older to do the dishes. It's okay for them to learn how to do the laundry. Why? Because you're teaching them responsibility. You're helping set in motion for your sons and daughters. So one day when they get married, they're going to be good husbands and good wives. I mean, responsibility. Hey, listen, I get, I'm in a lot of homes. I'm in a lot of homes during the year. My wife and I are in a lot, a lot of homes. And I can tell you that there are homes I'm very thankful for parents who've taken on the task of Proverbs 22.6 and they, have, they, they adapt these rules and these responsibilities and these repetitions. But my heart grieves and is broken for families that have not learned that yet. And the children are running wild around the home and they have no manners. Let me tell you today, those are, those are things, they, they look cute, but sometimes a lot of things that look cute are not very good habit-forming things for your children. Hey, we need to teach them respect. Let me give you a challenge tonight. Watch your children and see how they react to adults. Adults in authority. And if they're not respectful, where they've learned to go out and extend their hand to say, how are you? And so forth. That is something you need to model and teach them to do. Listen, I do this around the church. I can tell where children are going to head based upon when children, when they see me in the parking lot, do they say, hello, pastor, or they just ignore me and walk by there. Now, that doesn't mean they're a bad child. I'm just saying, if you don't teach respect, they're probably like that with other adults there, and that's not a good thing there. They just have a low respect attitude because it hasn't been ingrained in them. Teach your child respect because that will come back and honor you. Let me tell you tonight, if you don't teach your children respect, one day when you're a little bit older and you're sick and your kids don't, they have not learned that, they're not going to be there for you. They're not going to be there for you. Teach them respect. My father, who I loved very dearly, went home to be with the Lord two years ago. I could have never imagined my dad being incapacitated. And then one day he had a stroke. They didn't know what it was. The month before that, I'd been taken to the doctor because he had all the signs of a TIA, but they couldn't diagnose it as a TIA. I took him to two neurologists. I took him back to his primary doctor. They drew blood. They did everything. They tested all kinds of things. They just could not determine neurologically that he'd had a TIA. He didn't have the lasting effects of that. And we got back one day, and I took him out to eat, and I said, Dad, I need to talk to you. He was 90 years of age. I said, Dad, I said, listen, I, I want to just make sure one thing. I said, back in 1988, 1989, we sat down at your table. You still had a business then, and you were still working. I told you how to be saved. And I said, Dad, I'm very burning for your soul. And I want you to make sure that you know if something happens today, you're going to heaven. I said, Dad, do you remember that conversation? He said, Alan, I remember just a little bit. And I went over the plan of salvation. I told him again how much God loves him, how important it was to receive, that he knew for sure that Jesus Christ was Savior. And I'm thankful that afternoon, about 1 o'clock the afternoon, 1245, 1 o'clock that day was a Thursday. He got the assurance of his salvation. I didn't know a month later that my mom and my sister would call me up at 730 in the morning. She says, Dad fell down the stairs. There's a pool of blood. Can you get here really quickly? I said, don't wait for me. Call 911. Get the ambulance there to take him to the hospital there. And it was a struggle for three weeks. 
he was in and out, in and out, and just it was very difficult. We, did just, we didn't know if he was going to make it there. We prayed over him. I'm thankful for families from the church and some of our nurses that worked in that hospital. They, I mean, bless their hearts. Some of our nurses came by and prayed over my dad. I'm just thankful for that. We had to move dad to a assisted living facility, and they did the best they could. We had to face the grim reality that dad was not going to walk again. Dad was paralyzed on one side of his body. And I'll tell you, my dad, I could never imagine that. My, my dad was, he was all, he was a man's man. And I remember my children coming with me. We went to the assisted living facility and tried to cheer him up and encourage him. And the grim reality came down to us as a family that my sister and my brother, myself, my brother's out of state, so it was really myself and my sister and my mom, that we had to take care of dad. And I'll tell you something, more of a blessing than anything else, is that many times my son Justin went there without telling me. He spent an entire afternoon there, and he'd take care of dad. He changed him out. He cleaned him up. He did all these things. He exercised with them. And I watched many times as my son did that. I thought, man, I don't, I, don't know, I don't know if that came from me, that he got that from me, but I'm very thankful he learned respect early on in life. And he took care of his grandfather many, many times. And I'm saying to you tonight, the best thing you could do for your children is teach them respect. Teach them respect. Teach them to honor you. Listen, the Bible says, honor thy father and mother, for this is the first commandment that he tells children. You know that's the fifth commandment? You know where children learn how to honor mother and father? From you. Moms and dads, you need, dads, you need to teach your children to honor your mother, their mother. And moms, you need to teach them to honor their father. And listen today, we're all imperfect. None of us are perfect. But our goal is not to create perfect parents. Our goal is to teach our children respect and to love them. And there's just little things you could do. One of these days, you come to one of our adult growth classes, I'll teach you that. But you've got to teach your children respect early on. They need to learn how to shake hands. They need to look an adult in the eye. Listen, you want to develop truthfulness and honesty in your child, you've got to teach them to look an adult in the eye. You don't teach them that. They're not going to, they're going to have trouble with truth and honesty and a lot of other things like that, integrity later on in life. You've got to teach them to look them in the eye there. But there's other things that's part of that pathway. We need to teach them restraint. They need to know where boundaries are. They need to learn rejoicing. Hey, we need to teach our children it's good to laugh. Amen? It's good to laugh. It's good to have a good time. You have to laugh with your children. Hey, they need to learn compensation and rewards. They need to learn that, you know, it's a good thing to work hard. You know, you, if you do this and, you know, you, you, you know, you give them chores and things and you pay them, that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. You're teaching them how to be industrious and to learn how to work for things that when they get to be teenagers, they associate work and reward together. Listen, tonight, training means we've got to work on the spirit of the child. Listen to what the Bible says in Luke 2.40. This is speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. If you, if you go back home tonight and study Luke 2.40, it gives you the principle and pathway of how to work on a child. Listen to what it says about this, okay? Luke 2.40. And the child grew... And waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Did you notice that there? The child grew and waxed strong in spirit. The focus in child training is the spirit of the child. It's not the physical. Because when a child is born, the first thing they've done when they come out of the womb, they've already learned by the process how to manipulate you. Okay, They're out of the womb. How do they, how do they communicate? That's how they communicate, right? Well, that means one or two. They're hungry, or you got to change the diaper, right? One of two things, okay? They're hungry, they got to change, or they're sick, or something like that. There. So they've learned how to do that. And in the initial days of parenting, we, we kind of react to that. You're not to react to the child. You're to respond to the child. Responding means you're applying wisdom, and you're thinking through what we need to do there. So watch what happens here. 
The Bible says the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom. Focus on the child's will. You must shape and mold the will of the child early on in life. They need to know how to submit to authority. They need to learn how to say thank you. I mean, you're shaping their will. Don't let a child go any way he wants to go. Realize you're establishing a path. Training and the goals are establishing a path. Two boys, eight years old, were standing in the snow in upper North Michigan. They decided one day, they said, hey, let's have a contest. Let's see which of us can have, make a straight path to that tree that's 200 yards away. They said, the other guy said, it's a deal, let's do it. And so the one boy focused on that one tree, on his tree, and he walked a straight path, didn't turn his eyes. He focused on that path, and he had a straight line all the way. The second boy saw his tree, and he started on a straight path. Then he turned around and looked behind him. As he looked behind him, he started again, but he started zigzagging, and he started zig and he would do that. He would take every couple, uh, so many hundreds of feet, and then he would just, he would stop, and he would look backwards. Well, when he got to his tree, he looked back, and his, his path was zigzaggy, and he asked his friend, he said, how is it we both had our eyes on a tree, but my path was zigzaggy, and yours was straight? And his friend said, it's very easy. I didn't take my eyes off the tree the whole time. And I'm just saying to you tonight that as we establish a pathway for children, we've got to take, you've got to fix your eye on principles of training your child. Get them fixated. Get yourself fixated that you're making a lifetime investment. Listen, I don't care what investments you've made good money on. Your greatest investment you're making is with your children. You're investing in their life. You don't want your child to turn up a failure. You don't want your child to turn up to be a lost cause. You Listen, what you pour into your child is what you're going to get out of that child. Amen? So tonight, I want you to notice, we must have a pathway. But secondly, I want to give you something else here under these goals. Establish pillars. I need to go very quickly here. Now, pillars are columns that support a building. They're very important, not just for architecture. They're very important for structural purposes. Columns were not made to be cute decorations. They are support. They, are, they, they support, they give strength in supporting the weight of a roof or of a building there. Now the Bible says something about pillars. In Proverbs chapter 9 verse 1, it says this, Wisdom has built her house. She's hewn out her seven pillars. Now quickly, let me give you seven words that are seven good pillars for, for your home. And another time you come back to church, I'll preach on this. Is that a deal? Okay? All right. Number one, pillar number one, love. Can I tell you something, and we're all guilty of? You can never have enough love in your home. You can never have enough love in your home. Love them, don't lavish them. Don't overindulge them, but love them. Realize the times when you correct them, when you have to discipline them. Always make sure in the process of disciplining, after you've corrected, because remember, discipline is correction. Discipline is not meant to be punishment, it's meant to be correction. And when you correct the child, you need to pull your child back to you, embrace them, let them feel the love that you have from them, and say something like this, now Justin, I want, Daddy wants you to know that what you did was wrong, but I love you, and I don't want you doing this again, because this is what could happen with that. And they want to, you want them to sense love. Even if you have to do it over and over again, you want to sense, they want to sense that, that love for you. Hey, by the way, that's what God does for us, amen? We mess up, we confess our sin. You know what God does? God doesn't push us away. God doesn't call us a bad person. God just says if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Pillar number one, we must have love. Pillar number two, listen. Listen. Listen to your children. Listen to your spouse. Listening is the vital link in communication. Sometimes they don't need to hear us talk. We just need to listen. 
Listen to their heart. Doesn't mean you agree with everything, but listen. Pillar number three, laughter. Learn to laugh, as I said earlier. Have joy in your home. Teach a smile. I love when my, my wife is done with our children and returned to with our granddaughter. She just loves to teach the children how to smile. Why? A happy child's a good thing. Amen? Amen. They, need a good, they need to be happy. Man, this world is filled with a lot of sadness. And they start going to school, they're going to be around some kids that haven't learned that. They're going to be, these are some sad kids out there. They need to learn how to laugh. And not laugh at goofy things and, and, and gross things. You know what I'm saying? Learn how to laugh at wholesome things and teach them laughter. It's good to have laughter as a family. Pillar number four, leadership. The Bible says bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. So that means there's a soft side, there's a, there's a, there's a discipline side. Listen tonight, this matter of nurturing means there's, there's times you have, to, you have to take a hard line and realize, hey, they've been misbehaving, they did something very bad, and you've got to correct them there. They need to understand that you don't want that repeated behavior there. You're trying to modify or, or correct that bad behavior there, okay? Manoah prayed for his son Samson before he even knew how this boy's going to turn out. He said to the angel, he said this, he said, how shall we order the child? Pray every day for wisdom. Don't act like you know everything about parenting. You're not an expert on parenting. None of us are. God is the expert on parenting. And we must ask God every day for wisdom because your child has a heart and a will. Your child will make certain decisions along the way. And very strong personality children and very strong will children have a tendency to make some decisions over time that you're not going to agree with. How you condition them, the path you're on, the pillars you support will determine how they make those decisions. Because again, I go back to this matter of respect. You want to teach your children to do that which honors you and honors God. Here's something else. Pillar, pillar number five, leverage. What's the leverage? You know what your greatest leverage is as, as parents? Prayer. That's your greatest leverage, prayer. If you're not a praying parent, I want to encourage and exhort you tonight to begin praying for your marriage and praying for your children. Pray for them by name. It's, it's, it's okay even right now to start praying about their future spouse. You say, they're just a baby. Yeah, start praying for their future spouse. Pray about their friends. Pray about where they're going to go to school. Pray about how they're going to be trained. Pray for their mind. Pray for the protection of their soul. Pray for the protection of their bodies. Pray for good health. Pray that they'll be honorable. I mean, your greatest leverage is to pray for your child. Pillar number six, the Lord. Except the Lord build the house. They labor in vain. Listen, if you're trying to build your home and family without the Lord, you're, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. We need the Lord in our home. That's why Joshua said at an old age, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Pillar number seven, legacy. Children are heritage of the Lord. Give them memories that are enduring. Give them good memories. Good memories. Let them know you are more than just a provider. Man, the worst, to me, I've done a lot of funerals. When the children come up and all they say is my dad was a, or my mom was a good provider, but they have nothing else to share. That doesn't say very much about our influence on their lives. At the end of the day, it's not about what money you gave them and what, you, what kind of trip you took them to. You know, they want, to, they want to know that they were loved and they were cared for and you were always there for them and you listened to them. You helped them along the way. And even when they mess up, and by the way, children will mess up. And if they mess up, you still need to be there for them. And if they mess up, don't worry about what everybody else is because everybody else wants to tell you how to manage your children except when their children mess up. You don't let somebody else interfere with how you raise them. If they turn out that way, guess what? They love them. And I'm going to tell you, Pastor Fong loves them too. 
And every kid that messes up, I want them to know that the pastor is always going to be here for them. Pastor is going to love them. I may not agree with their decision, but that's not the matter. The fact of the matter is, maybe because of an insecurity or a stronghold in life, they just need to know it's somewhere along the way when they come around that somebody loves them. And I want them to know, I want them to know the love of Jesus Christ is coming from their pastor because that's what they need to see. So I'm going to tell you this morning, this evening, we, we need to consider these pillars. These pillars support our home. So number one, there's the gift of the family. There's the goals of the family as we close tonight, which you consider the glory of the family. Now what do we mean by glory? Well, I'll take you back to Psalms 127 verse 5. And this is the glory in parenting is a happy family. And this is what, what the David said. Happy is the man that has his quiver full of them. When I was a kid growing up, my dad did not have much of an education. He came here in 1949. He had to leave because the communists were taking over China. He got sponsored by an uncle. It was one of the back, back in the days when you had to di- come with a different paper name. And uh, I didn't realize that, that, that the name I, grew, I, I, was born, I was born with, I had to, we had to go through this whole court process to change anyway. But my dad came here. He didn't speak a word of English. He just kind of got immersed into the American culture in 1950. He learned English. He worked his way up and learned things. I mean, it's amazing the English he learned and how, how wise and educated my dad was over time there. And when we lived in East Oakland, he used to drive me to West Oakland to go to school. I went to a, 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 a school out there, and, and he'd drive me every day. And it was kind of dad's talk time with me. And, you know, it was amazing. I just, my dad always kind of intrigued me with things he would talk about. And, and uh, you know, we think as a man that was just a butcher, a grocer, that, he, you know, what could he talk about? But dad had a lot of interesting things to talk about. And he would just kind of give me his, you know, kind of a fireside chat there. And, uh, you know, dad did his best. You know, my mom passed away. My biological mom passed away when I was four years old. She, it was an accident in the hospital room, and she never came out of the, the anesthesia, it was anesthesia overdose, it was just a really bad situation. My dad was heartbroken through that, and during the weekdays for about two or three years, I'd stay with my grandparents for Monday through Friday, and then weekends, dad would take me home, and I treasured going home with dad on Friday nights. I treasured being with him Saturday. I dreaded Sunday night, because I didn't want to go back to grandma and grandpa, though I loved them, and they loved me. I just wanted to be with my dad. And I remember in fifth grade that my dad had done all these things, and, 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 and I'm to be honest with you, my dad did not set the world on fire. He was nobody remarkable in that sense, but he was to me. And I don't know what spurred me, Brother Jojo, but one day we were driving the car, and I remember right where we're at, we're over there by uh, by Fifth Avenue and East 20th or something like that. He was making his way into West Oakland, and there's a BART train there, and there used to be some restaurants there. And I remember he was right there at the corner, and we were at the stoplight. And I turned to Dad, and I said, Dad, you know, Dad, can I tell you something? He said, what's that? I was just a fifth grader then. I said, Dad, you're the greatest dad in all the world. Now, I don't know what spurred me to say that. That wasn't the last time I said, Dad, you're the greatest dad in all the world. And Dad, Dad said, What? You have to understand, my dad, my, my dad, I could count on my one hand how many times he said he loved me all my adult life. I mean, I could count on one hand. And that didn't mean he didn't love me. I just could tell that just, he was Asian. He just didn't, he didn't know how to do that because he didn't learn that at home. And as a tear came down my dad's eye, which was one of the few times I saw tears in his face, he said, would you say that again? I said, dad, you're, you're the greatest dad in all the world. Now, why am I telling you that? I'll tell you why. Greatest honor to your life and your legacies. One day your, your, your son and daughter says, you're the greatest dad and greatest mom in all the world. Because everything else that you have in life is secondary to knowing that your kids love you and you love your kids. Happy is the man that has his quiver full of them. The Apostle John said this in Third John, I have no greater joy than to see my children walk in the truth. Saved, living for God, 
honoring God, honoring people. I have no greater joy than to see that my children walk in the truth. There are many lies the devil has fabricated in this world. What God made is normal. The devil has twisted it and made it abnormal. We're, we're, we're raising children right now in one of the most challenging times of American history. I'm not sure what America is going to look like 10 years from now, but it's definitely going to look a lot different than it is right now. As a mother and father, with all the busyness and responsibilities and burdens, and we understand your burdens, your greatest responsibility you want to recalibrate tonight is making sure that you have a home where Jesus Christ is at the center. I'll close with this story. A dad, like a lot of us, a small kid, brought some homework home, and he's working at his desk trying to get this done because it's a project for work. You know how it is, dads. You get so immersed in what you're doing and you're studying and so forth there. And, and by the way, I'm speaking to Sunday school teachers here too because this can happen to us. We get so immersed in working on that project, we kind of forget our kids around. And his little daughter, Vanessa, came up to him and said, Daddy, Daddy, can we play? Daddy, can we play? Not now, honey. Not now, honey. Daddy, can we play? Daddy, can we play? So finally, you know, he didn't want to, he didn't want to come across with me, but he had to get his project done. We understand that. But he didn't know how to juggle all that. So he, was, he had this magazine on his desk. He wasn't paying attention to it. And on the page that was, was open, there was a map of the world. It had all the countries of the world on it. So he tore it out carefully. And then he started to, to tear it in different pieces and juggle it up in a box. He says, honey, this map of the world, I've got a special project. Daddy is going to love you and, he and, and, and he's going to reward you. I want you to take this, 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 this map and I want to see if you can put it all back together. Can you do that? She said, he said, can you put it back together? And Vanessa went like this, like a typical little girl. Uh-huh, Daddy, uh-huh, I'll do that. So she took the little box, went out to her little table in her room, poured out the contents of that map, and she put it together. I mean, she had it together in less than 10 minutes. The dad thought this was going to take her all night. She's not going to get it done. She had it together in 10 minutes. She came back in. She said, Daddy, I want to show you something. He's thinking, what? What's going on? She should still be working. And he came back, and he saw that the map of the world, she had put the whole thing together just exactly tore it up. And he looked, and he says, honey, and he gave her a big kiss on the forehead, and he gave her a hug. He says, how did you do that? How, how did you get this map put together so quickly there? She said, Daddy, it was easy. She said, on this side was the map. On the other side was the picture of Jesus. I just figured if I got Jesus all together, everything else would come together. You see, if you get it right with Jesus, everything else comes together in your home. And I want to close with this. The Apostle Paul told Timothy, he said, from a child, from a child, thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. Do you know little children can know Jesus Christ as their Savior? They can understand that Christ died for their sins and rose again from the dead. And they can, with a tender heart, can simply bow their heads and call upon the Lord to save them. And moms and dads, thank God there's some very talented moms and dads and grandparents. There's some very talented people, much more talented than me, much more smart than me, better people than me. But I'm going to tell you tonight, with Jesus Christ, you've got everything you need because he puts it all together there. And I want to encourage you, as Paul was talking to Timothy about knowing Jesus Christ as a Savior from a child, maybe tonight, as parents and grandparents and friends, we need a childlike faith tonight, to have the faith like a little child, to say, Lord, I've been thinking about getting saved for a long time, 
Maybe tonight's the night. Maybe tonight's the night I need to open my heart and humble myself and realize and confess to you tonight that I'm a sinner who needs to be saved. Because you know, tonight, if we try to get to heaven on our own, we're not going to make it. That pathway is going to be zigzaggy. The straight path is through Jesus Christ because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but through me. If you take Jesus Christ tonight as your Savior, he forgives you of your sins. You have the gift of eternal life, and you become a son of God. And I don't know how to describe this to you, but there's something about being a Christian mom and a Christian dad, a saved mom and dad, that gives you an advantage that someone who's not a Christian doesn't have. Just gives you an advantage in raising your children. It gives you an advantage. You have access to the Heavenly Father. And think of what you're doing for your son and your daughter. You're establishing a legacy in that home. You're establishing, you know what? It begins with me. I'm going to be the right, because I said one of those pillars is leadership. And the best way of demonstrating your leadership is open your heart and calling upon the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. And I'm thankful for these, many of these parents tonight who have already received Christ as Savior. Maybe some of us tonight, Maybe some of us here tonight, you've never made that, 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 that step of faith. And I encourage you tonight to take that step of faith. And tonight, take hold of Jesus Christ to be your Savior. You see, because the world's going to be all upside down unless you get it all right with Jesus. And I want to encourage you tonight to call on the Lord to save you. Because the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Today can become your second birthday. Today can be the day you're born into the family of God. In the privacy of where you're sitting tonight, you can call on Jesus to save you and wash your your sins. Let's bow our heads for prayer tonight.